Shay Nadira, she's the empress who tells it like it is. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the royal empress. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. This is Akila, and joining me, as always, are my fellow co-hosts, Hakima. Greetings. And Lakishe Nigeria. Peace and blessings, family. We are super excited because we have a special guest, and actually, this is our first emperor, Dr. Akili Graham Muhammad. Welcome to the show, Dr. Akili. Thank you so much. I'm extremely honored to be the first emperor. I don't even know what to say after that. (laughs) Go ahead and take your rightful seat. (laughs) I am going to read Dr. Akili's bio. Dr. Akili is a medical doctor, and he is going to talk to us tonight about our health. So here's the bio for Dr. Akili. Dr. Akili Graham Muhammad affectionately known as Dr. Akili, attended Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. He completed residency at the University of Texas at Houston. Dr. Akili practiced in a federally funded health facility in Houston prior to opening his own private practice in 2003. Being traditionally trained in allopathic Western medicine, he has concluded that a medical society with the best technology the most doctors, medications, and medical facilities is not producing adequate solutions to restore and heal the body. As such, Dr. Keeley now studies alternative therapies designed to provide a holistic approach to restoring the body through nutrition and alternative therapies. Evaluating the whole body is what is needed in holistic health. Recognizing this need and the lack of information available to society, Dr. Keeley began offering a series of how-to seminars designed to educate and improve mental, emotional, and physical health. Dr. Keeley has lectured at various events, including community health fairs, schools, and religious institutions. He participated on How to Eat to Live panel discussion during Savior's Day from 2009 to 2014, and was a guest panelist during Savior's Day 2015, wherein the nation addressed viruses, weapons of mass destruction. He is a staunch supporter of his community and has volunteered his time, talent, and finances to improve the community. Dr. Keeley co-founded the Kingdom Come, a coalition of Black spiritual men who began a soap business, weekend tutor program, mentorship program, 
and the Resurrection Zone, which provided housing for recently released incarcerated brothers, which resulted in brothers joining the Nation of Islam. Dr. Keeley has participated in self-improvement presentation, which allowed him to interact with 4,000 timers in jail. Finally, Dr. Keeley serves as a Dianetics Auditor and a member of the Mosque Health and Human Services Ministry. Wow. <laughs> All praise belongs to Allah. Do you Indeed. have anything to add to that? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, um, honestly, I mean, I'm really humble. You know, as, as I hear you reading that, all those things are true. But, you know, I know I was raised in a household where my, my parents were highly involved in the community. So that's, you know, not something that I take credit for. It's just what I was trained, you know, um, I think it's the perspective of W.B. Du Bois who said the talent and tenth were responsible for those who were mis or uneducated. I'm just thankful that I've had enough blessings where I not only have the desire to want to help, but I also have been blessed to be in a position to help. So it's humbling to even hear, you know, I really don't like having my bio read. I don't know, sometimes it just doesn't seem humble, but humble to have been able to be a part of so many things that are attempting to help our people um, rise out of the condition that we're in. So again, I'm, I'm extremely thankful and, and, and thankful to be on the show to share what um, I've been blessed with. So again, thank you all. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> You're studying um, alternative therapies now. And I mean, of course, reading your bio, we see that you, you feel like traditional medicine isn't providing the solutions that we need. So can you just kind of bring us up to speed with how you're mixing the two? Yes, ma'am. Excellent question. Let me first say that um, when I finished medical school and uh, came down to Houston to start my residency program, when I finished, I... Uh, actually both when I finished medical school and my residency program, I really felt like what I had was the best for people. I used to look at so-called alternative doctors, other types of modalities to help people heal. I used to look at that as quackery because I had been filled with propaganda that what I learned was the best and there was nothing better. After about seven years of practicing what I had learned in, res in medical school and residency program, I wasn't getting the type of results that I was interested in. It wasn't the vision that I had for what I wanted to do as a doctor. I wanted to help people find solutions. I wanted to see people heal problems. And so after practicing for seven years, I mean, I literally was about to get out of medicine and do real estate because there were so many of my friends that were making money at that time. I just happened to go home one evening after I met with this lady who um, had about 15 to 17 medications. And as I was explaining to her what my plan was for, she fell asleep while I was talking to her. And I, I remember getting very angry at her. And, you know, I was compelled, I believe, by God himself to read How to Eat to Live that night when I went home. It was just like jumping out of the bookcase to me. And in the first 30 pages of that book, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad mentions we have the ability to cure diseases. We have the ability to, you know, reverse diabetes. We have the ability to reverse chronic diseases in either months or years. 
Now, that's what I was looking for. That's the way I wanted to practice medicine. So what, as I'm reading this book, I'm like, this is amazing. This man, in these very simple terms, is fueling my fire back into medicine because this is what I wanted to do. I really wanted to help people. So I started applying how to eat to live to myself first. I mean, I like, you know, jumped in the deep end and just started going all at it because at that time I was eating five meals a day. And I didn't um, follow the Anabar Thomas instructions and go from four to five to four to three to two to one. I just went straight to one meal a day. And I mean, immediately I started seeing all these different results that I thought were fantastic. And then I started applying them to my patients. And it was almost an epiphany of so many sorts. And one of the main one, main ones was I know I had had at, you know, of, of course, in those seven years of practicing and, and the years of medical school and the years of training, I heard many people talk to me about Reiki therapy and acupuncture and iridology and all these other things, but it just didn't impress me because I thought I had it. I thought I had everything that was needed. But after reading that book, it really like uh, humbled me very quickly. And I started becoming more open to a lot of different modalities like the ones I mentioned. And that's what sparked me to, you know, just change everything that I was doing to, to a certain degree. I evolved into changing everything. So as you all are listening to me today, I don't prescribe any medications. I don't have any desire to prescribe medications. I put together programs for people that are based in food, getting nutrition in your body. And then, of course, um, I do herbs sometimes because I've uh, become an herbologist since I made my transition. My plan is to become an iridologist as soon as I find a, a course that I can take where I can fit my schedule around it. And, um, you know, after that, it's about, you know, building a team that I can work with of acupuncturists and massage therapists and Reiki therapists and just all the different things that have opened my mind and people have helped open my mind too that I believe are paramount in helping people heal. A great part of that is, of course, Dianetics auditing because I think a lot of times, let me take that back, I don't think, I am absolutely sure that many occasions the way that physicians drop information on people without care and concern and without a lot of consideration they're really destroying a lot of people by telling them they have cancer, they have this problem or that problem, or they're going to have to do this because you have this. People are reeling when they hear that type of information and sometimes never recover psychologically, emotionally, nor mentally. And so I think where I am now is that I treasure the experience, the experiences that I had through medical school and residency program because. I don't believe I will be able to be as effective as I am now at helping people on their health or healing journey without those experiences, without that knowledge, without the, the basis that I have. So um, I'm thankful to be where I am, and I, I believe that I am in a place that God is using me to help empower people, put, to put themselves back in control, and to be the stewards of their own health journey. And so I, I use the word health journey as a person who doesn't have any medical problems and is just trying to improve and stay healthy for many, many years. 
in a healing journey are those who are having some difficulties or have been diagnosed with some medical issues or medical problems or you know horrible diagnosis and then we start moving in the direction of you empowering yourself to get all the benefits and all the reversal of negativities that you can possibly get with your dedication and your diligence so um i'm hoping i answered your question but it was kind of a i guess a long way to a short answer <laughs> no you absolutely answered the question and i appreciate that wow that was a powerful answer this is a uh, sister hakeem my brother what stuck out to me was the holistic approach that you have to counseling your patients when it comes to their health conditions that's something that i've never heard of and and just listening to it it, it brings the it's why it's so so important for black men and women to be in in, in leadership and ruling because our approach to leadership is holistic and you brought up something very unique when you're talking about the impact on that information emotionally and psychologically on the patient. I mean, that is something in, in healthcare right now that the holistic approach to uh, counseling and, and, and guiding patients through their health conditions is, is just absent. So when you spoke on that, I said, wow, that is just an, an area in, in health that is not being attended to right now. Yes, ma'am. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, uh, not even a lot in the, in the so-called alternative or holistic environment is it either because the system of medi medicine in this country, the medical industry is absolutely broken. And it has come to a place where you don't have options. In most doctors' minds, you either listen to what they say or you leave their practice. I have had two instances this year already where I have been involved with a family who had a child that was hospitalized. And because the parents consulted with me and wanted to weigh their options, these doctors actually called CPS on these parents because they didn't follow what they said that they supposed to do. So yes, you're absolutely right. This is, and then in the alternative realm, a lot of people spell holistic with an H-O-L holistic. I spell it with a W-H-O-L because I'm trying to help people become whole. Now, I'm not the conduit to make people whole. It's God that is the conduit to make people whole. But I believe because of watching how destroyed and how destructive this system can be to people, I believe God has really showed me how to tap into a lot of things that help start putting those pieces together. You know, if you We've all seen puzzles, puzzles before. You open up the box and drop all those puzzles out. A lot of times when people are approaching me or in, you know, initially setting up a consultation with me, that's kind of what I see. It's like their, their whole life is all in pieces and all jumbled up because of how destructive getting the word cancer said to them or you have diabetes or you have lupus or we think we're going to have to operate and take this out of your body. This is destroying people. And, you know, the honest truth is, as you said, sister, a lot of black men and black women aren't whole before they got this bad diagnosis. Their, their life was in shambles. Their life was going down wherever it was going, not necessarily in a good place before they went to this person and got this bad diagnosis. So, you know, our, our people are really in need of, of serious help 
And, you know, again, as I said in the beginning, I, I'm just thankful that I'm being put in this place. I'm, I'm not trying to perpetrate and act like my life is perfect, but I do believe I'm trying to use the tools to improve my life so that I can continue to be a good example. And I, you know, uh, am striving for that every day. So, you know, that that's the, that's the path and that's the mission. So again, I'm thankful. Brother, it is, it's absolutely um, refreshing. This is Lockheed Shane Nidera. It's um, very refreshing to hear you speak um, about holistic health and wellness, especially having the background as an MD. As I listen to you, a lot of what you say resonates with me because I myself here in Chicago, I am a holistic health practitioner. And so even when you mentioned the word whole, you know, I spell my whole with a W as well. For the same reasons, not trying to dig a hole, but attempting to make make you whole. But the reason it's so beautiful in listening to what you have to say is because you really are in a unique position by you having the background as an empty, and then now you know de- deciding that alternative uh, medicine is in many ways very superior. And the reason I say you put yourself in a um, Uh, a good position is because most of the time, just from my experience as a holistic health practitioner, the challenge that I have experienced is that because I don't have the MD behind my name and I come just as a holistic health practitioner, our people who are conditioned to believe that most doctors are the truth, they are, you know, they're God beside God, then many times they don't have the same level of respect because you come from both worlds. So you're able to balance it out because you study and you understand. You know what you learned. You know how either effective or ineffective it was. So it gives you just that extra edge where people are, can be more open you know, to what you have to say. Do you find that to be the case? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think the, um, the way you express that is... Um you know, taking it right out of my mind. You know, it's amazing because I, I, I tell people all the time that, um, you know, women hold me to an esteem, like maybe just one step under Jesus. And, you know, I don't accept that, but I mean, that's what they do. I mean, <laughs> black women, in my experience, held me to such a high esteem that sometimes it made me very uncomfortable because I could have taken advantage of them so easy. And that's the reason why in, in the medical community, one of the worst things that you can do as a physician is to have sex with your patient, male or, or female, because of that power structure. And, you know, that, that's why um, in the introduction I said that, you know, I have learned the quality of what I did learn because of what you said. I know what is valuable and I know what has to be eliminated. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, one of the greatest things that gives me comfort is that when I was in medical school, I know people that had sex, male and female, for grades. I know people mm-hmm. that parents had enough money where they paid for grades. Wow. I know wow. people who, yes, I know plenty of people across this country have cheated on their national boards because their parents have enough money and influence to get. So we, there are a lot of doctors out here that don't know a damn thing. And yet people's lives are in their hands. Mm, But mm -hmm. the comfort that I have 
is that I, I know I stayed up many, many, many nights. The majority of nights I was in school, I was up till one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning studying every night. I know what I know. And I studied pathophysiology and physiology and biochemistry and anatomy, dissected a whole body open. And so that is why I don't really get in arguments about things that I know. And a lot of times our people are attracted to the fluff and the popularity. Because I thought Brother Wesley said this Sunday about Dr. Sabi, it's very true. I mean, I tell people all the time, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to say disrespectful about Dr. Sabi. But I know I sat next to that man and spoke to him face to face. And he told me his, his beginning wasn't how to eat to live. Oh, That's how he changed his life and how he changed his wife's life. But then as he continued to go forward and learn other information, he started to add things and take things away from how to eat to live. And I've always said that that's where I disagree with him. Where he differs with how to eat to live is where I differ with him. Because yeah. I've never seen how to eat to live steer me wrong. Not personally, mm. nor in any person that I've ever worked with. And that's one of the things I take a lot of, I put a lot of effort into. And that is to delineate what a lot of these so-called holistic and healthy ideas out here that are not based in science. It's based in the fact that you saw somebody else do something or you heard somebody else and then you start following and doing these things and they really don't have any basis in really how the body works. <laughs> and, then, and then when it comes to things like, like what you're talking about, about energy therapy and music therapy and acupuncture and Reiki therapy, all these things, they can't be regulated. They right. you can't go study that anywhere and say that one person is superior than the other. Mm -hmm. It's something that you understand and you get in a connection with this person and you're both being led by something greater than you. See, those type of things, I would be foolish to say that that's not good or that's, you know, that, that's, that's not something that we from a, a Western society perspective mm -hmm. have any knowledge of whatsoever. So that's what makes those things so beautiful. And I think that's also what makes this type of a show so beautiful is that our people have to start hearing us talk about something different before they can start thinking something different. The medical community is going to force people to find something else because it, it's broken and it is, isn't doing anything for anybody. And so the more shows we have like this, the more we discuss it, the more we have public events where we're teaching our people something different, we will grow a whole different revolutionary mind state in the young people because they know they don't want to grow up being like auntie and grandma and grandpa with body piece, pieces of their body cut off or organs missing and taking medications and barely able to walk and can't remember what your name is. So, you know, we have a whole new reality to, to, to take our people into. You said a few things that I just want to kind of go back to. One being when you spoke about the way in which the woman <laughs> views you you know, and other black men like you who have this type of knowledge, you know, almost like second to, to God himself. And that is a very interesting finding. I know that to be an actual fact. I've always been amazed, you know, just in my own studies. I guess I would compare it to being inside of a church <laughs> or even in some cases, you know, um, in any religious institution, you have the head, the male the black male specifically, okay? Um, and you have most of 
those who come for worship, usually being the female. And because of the godlike nature of the male, it is natural for the woman, the female, to be attracted to the male, especially when he holds knowledge, a knowledge that maybe has not been heard before, you know, because it's like God told me, <laughs> God told me to, you know, go and do this or whatever it is that can come out of your mouth especially if you know what you're talking about and you're speaking from a high place of elevation, then you really carry such a power to really be able to electrify and, and provide a healing. And I'm not saying that the woman is not the same way, meaning the woman can't do the same thing, but it's just something special about hearing it coming from a man who is also connected to God that makes the woman completely submit. And it, is, it definitely has a lot to do with nature. So I wanted to touch on that. And then you said a couple of other things when you mentioned about the Dianetics aspect. You know, So when you talk about the mind and you talk about a patient who's been told, oh, you have the C word, <laughs> you know, look at the energy that's brought along with that. And what actually goes on into the mind of someone who's been told that. So, and then lastly, when you mentioned, you know, Dr. Sabi, I've been blessed for the last, I want to say about 24 years that, you know, when I came into the knowledge of God and knowledge itself, I took a specific um, liking to how to eat to live. It was like, that was my favorite, just studying it, you know, back and forth. And so just like right. yourself, with how, there is no match. There is no match because it's so simple. And that's the one thing that I love about what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gave us, simplicity. We don't need all this extra, but all we need is just simplicity because the body is simple. It's a beautiful thing, again, when you can have someone who has knowledge of God and knowledge of self and coupled with everything else that you've been blessed with it just brings for such a more powerful medicine yes ma'am well you know as you were speaking the thing that came to my mind was jesus's word so as a man thinketh or as a woman thinketh so are so is he or she i believe i have to say this out of um responsibility to not only to your female listeners but all to to your male listeners I, I didn't understand that exaltation that, that black women used to do in my presence. But um, as you just said, as I learned the knowledge of God and knowledge of myself, I became very aware of what was happening and why it was happening. Unfortunately, I have learned that I never knew how to respect black women. And being raised in a household where my father didn't really understand how to teach me that. And my father, of course, with his background was sexist and didn't think women were supposed to this and weren't supposed to that. And this was their place and such, 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 such. You know, being raised from a father like that, uh, of course, I am definitely not trying to put my father down. He is such a benefactor of so many great things in me. But that was one of the things that I did not learn from him. And so in my first marriage, I, was, I wasn't abusing that power 
with the women that were coming to my practice to see me as their doctor, but I was abusing it in every other aspect of the field as far as the nurses and the other people that were enamored by this black doctor with this confidence and he knows what he's doing. And, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't, I don't say this out of any arrogance. I'm just saying it because, you know, I try so hard to be the best at what I, everything that I do. I was the best in my residency program. I was the best in the hospitals that I was in. And, and it didn't take long for people to know that because other doctors were asking me to help them with their patients. And so, you know, that power that, and, and it's really not any power that you have over a person. It's the power that you have within yourself, as you said, sister, so eloquently that a woman is enamored by that because it wasn't, it's not commonly seen. There are very few, the percentage of black doctors, male doctors in this country is like, less than three percent and that was like years ago it's probably less than that now because the number of black females in medical school is like 80 to well probably not that bad but maybe 70 to 30 percent now so the number of black doctors is decreasing vastly but the point i'm getting to is that you know we as black men we really have to start having discussions about that because we see it in the music world, we see it in the entertainment world, we see it in the sports world. It's the same effect that this black man who has some gift or talent that he has worked hard and gotten good at, but just doesn't know how to put the black woman in the right place in his mind because you are absolutely right. Everything that I have accomplished in medicine, I've seen black women do at the same ability and maybe and sometimes even better. But why don't we get enamored with black women like that? Well, to a certain degree, as you said, there's a certain aspect of nature that makes the proper perspective that we, that we are supposed to align ourselves in be real. But we also, as black men, have to start having that same, same respect for black women when they are doing wonderful things without making it a slight for this, a slight for that. And so, you know, I just wanted to say that because as you were speaking, I believe it's my responsibility to make sure my son truly knows how to respect black women, all women, but especially and on top black women. And, yes. it's, and I feel it's my duty to help every other black man and every other black young man and every black boy truly understand what it means when we say we have to honor, protect and respect the black women. Because, you know, I, I am not the type of person that believes in these phrases without understanding the meaning and then trying to make that phrase a reality. Sit yourself in heaven at once. If you ponder that, that's some very deep, that's a very deep meaning. The black woman is, the, is a god. It has very deep meaning. The black woman is the queen. That's very deep meaning. Love, protect, and respect the black woman. That has such a profound ideology behind it that we could talk, you know, for days, months, and years about that subject. And those are the type of conversations that black men have to initiate and have to start having around each other so that we make sure we raise another generation of black men, black boys into young black men, into black men that aren't disrespecting and using and abusing our black women because it's the thing to do. You never know where these conversations are going. Yeah, very (laughs) profound. You had a spirituality to medicine that is not being offered in the medical field today. I, I want to go to a post that you posted about 
the link between homosexuality and baby formula. Um, would you like to ex expound on that or, or share your thoughts on it? Yes, ma'am. Let me premise um, this with if there are any homosexual, transgender, bisexual, queer people that are listening, um, please have an open mind and understand that I have no intention on offending or putting down anybody. It is um, the way you just opened up that question that I believe I'm being led by a higher power in what I am doing. Because um, all the years in, in medicine, I never heard doctors talk about God. I never heard them pray before they did surgeries. I never heard them pray before they were going and see some serious case. So God wasn't even, an, it, it, he wasn't even a factor in my training in the medical industry, but I know he's leading me now. And so I, I will start that answer with everything that God does has an exactness to it. And everything that God does is perfect. So we can never take imperfections and put that on God. The female and the male organ have one purpose, and that is reproduction. And so two penises can't produce anything. Two vaginas can't produce anything. A penis and an anus can't produce anything. Again, I'm not trying to be vulgar, and I'm not trying to put anybody down. We're talking science now. The, the sperm and the egg is what produces life. And the majority of life that we see, and I'll explain that in a minute, the great majority of life that we see is coming from an egg and a sperm. Mostly from sexual activity in a male and a female. But if you go to a test tube or you go to a surrogate mother, that still, that process still started from a sperm and an egg, meaning that it had to come from a sexual perspective. Now, what I mean by mostly is that I know there are cloned people among us. And I know because when I was in medical school, I had the, I don't know if it was a, and uh, well, I mean, it was a pretty horrific uh, event, but I w was actually privy to a place in Tennessee where parents who had children that were severely malformed or just had, you know, really bad, you know, like, I mean, like some of the stuff you see in movies where they keep these people away from public. I actually saw a place like that where there were people that were so malformed and they looked so different than what we typically see that I am very sure that there is a lot of cloning and a lot of DNA, you know, mixing different species of people. Pe I mean, people with different species of animals. I know that kind of stuff is going on. So some of the people that we're seeing in public, they may actually be cloned people. So let's exclude that out of the conversation. Just talk about people that are being produced in a way that God made us to reproduce. If, what I'm saying is true, and it is because it's scientifically based, then that means homosexuals can't reproduce. Because, as I said, you can't, if you're gay, you can't produce a child, which means that uh, genetics can't be the source of homosexuality. Now, if anybody removes their emotions and evaluates what I'm saying from a scientific perspective, you have to agree with that. So let's push that aside and say, okay, we can agree that genetics can't produce homosexuality. Well, that means that we have to start looking for another reason for the production of homosexuality. And if you look in nature, 
Now, I'm not talking about domesticated animals. I'm talking about in nature. If you go to some foreign country or you go into some of these woods in, in this country or go into some of the mountains in this country, you will never find a homosexual animal. So those are two things that shows us that there has to be an environmental factor to producing homosexuality. Now, another scientific fact is that children do not become a sex until about the 13th or 14th week, which means right towards the end of the first trimester going into the second trimester. That child is, as is asexual before then. It's not male and it's not female. It is like a stem cell. It has not been differentiated. At that time when the sexual differentiation is supposed to change, sorry, the X chromosome starts to produce an increase in the estrogen production, and that's what differentiates that child into a particular sex, physical sex. Perfect system, no mistakes happen in that. Humans make mistakes, get caused some problems, but that God-made system is perfect. Now, in the last part of the second trimester and the majority of the third trimester, that's when the brain is differentiated towards a sex. So that is where now the hormone has made this child a boy or made this child a girl. And then at the end of that second trimester and the third trimester, that child's mind is starting to be formulated into what that child is going to think of themselves as a boy and as a girl. So the, some of that is influenced by a mother. And if any of you, any of you three sisters or anybody that's listening is a mother, I've heard from plenty mothers that my frame of mind, the psychology that was going on in me as I was pregnant with this child, when I watched that child become a small adult or a young child, I saw those same characteristics. So we know that emotions in a woman can affect how a child starts to express themselves when they're four or five and on up into teenage years. So I believe that the type of preservatives and the type of foods and the type of artificial sweeteners and, and, the, and the fluoride and the chlorine, and as Dr. Wesley said, the weed, there's so many things in our society right now that are in foods and in drinks and in our environment in such high levels that the hormones of children as they are being produced in their mothers are being altered. And with a mother who is having difficulty with the father, she's had difficulties with men before, maybe her father wasn't good, maybe she was molested by an uncle, those things start to affect her mentality. And then when you talk about the physical food and the chemicals that can alter the hormones as well, I can't explain 100% how I understand that people are becoming homosexual, but I believe those are influences. I do believe people can be born homosexual. I do believe they can be born transgender. I do believe those things, but I don't believe that that came from God. I don't believe that that came from genetics. I believe it comes from a lot of environmental factors that most people don't even understand are even possible. Everything that you, you said, um, so very true. I know just from my own experience that it is a hard pill for many of us to swallow because oftentimes, as you even had to point out, if we can just put aside the emotion, we can't deny, you know, what we know is the truth. So 
take it or let it alone for those who are out there listening, you know, to this truth as it's being told, you know, I just ask really that you, you, you challenge yourself. And I, I just feel the need to have to say this because I, I know how we think and I know how it's so easy to want to reject something, especially when it's something that we ourselves are experiencing. When we think about some of the chemicals, uh, as we know to be in a lot of the products that we give our children. And we know they're harmful. We know that this world does not desire to lift us up. This world desires to destroy us. This is why in the womb of the woman, as she is carrying her child, we have to be so guarded. You know, I bear witness as a mother and all of us actually on the phone, um, the sisters, we're all mothers. So I know we've all had our own personal experiences, but I, I can remember nursing, you know, on how to give birth to a God and keeping myself like that of Mary and as much as I could protecting, you know, that womb space, but bearing witness that, yes, as you stated, when I saw the child and as it, as my child grew, you know, both my um, children, I saw the personalities that were reflected in the, the relationship that I had already formulated in the womb. I saw it, you know, as clear as day. Yes, ma'am. And just, and just as an added factor, you know, I don't, I don't have any vitriol towards homosexuals. I, and, you know, it may, it may even surprise some people. I probably was more anti-homosexual before the minister. The minister has opened my mind oh, to absolutely. use my background yes. Look at it from a scientific perspective so I can be more amenable and more loving to my homosexual brothers and sisters and not attacking them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to say that Minister Farrakhan has changed me in so many ways, and that's one of them. So I'm just saying this to debunk all of these statements out here that he's anti-LGBT, LGBTQ. If he was, he wouldn't be able to produce what I just finished expressing, and that is right. an attempt to speak to my people out of love so that we can look at things from a realistic perspective and start having some conversations, not to put you down. I have a homosexual daughter, so it's definitely not to put her down. I love her. Um, Dr. Keeley, this is Akila. Just kind of based off of what you were talking about in terms of the chemicals and the environmental things, and so I want to kind of touch on the endocrine system and things that are potentially endocrine disruptors and what that does to us, although it could, it could have an effect on what we were just talking about, but also in terms of our health in general. You could kind of touch on that and explain, some people don't even know what the endocrine system is, how that's important in, in, in terms of the overall health of our bodies. Yes, ma'am, excellent question. So let me say that the endocrine system is probably the second most abundant messaging system that we have in the body. Most people have heard of the thyroid gland, have heard of you know, stroke hormones, or have heard of you know, a man or a woman's sex hormones. Well, all of those are really just messenger molecules in the body. And we make them in so many different organs. It's kind of like, um, you know, we're, we're on this call, and the reason why I'm responding to your question is because I hear you. And the reason why you are responding to me is because you can hear me. So the body works in the same way. The body is so 
beautifully made and works so beautifully together that something could be happening in your toe and your brain is going to know it within a millisecond. And that's because of the hormonal system. So if I am, let's just say that I am experiencing some anxiety, all right? Let's just make it real. We're driving down the street, we're trying to get to work. You're a little anxious about that. And then you get into it with somebody, not you get into it with somebody, but you actually experience somebody with road rage and they're cursing you out and calling you out your name and all that. And then it just goes up to another level. Well, the reason why you start feeling that way, a lot of people say the chemicals in your body. No, it's not chemicals. There are processes in the body that get your body ready for whatever it needs to handle. So in that situation, you're anxious. You want to get to work on time. Now you're more anxious because some fool is interrupting with your peace. And so your body starts sending out hormones saying you need to be ready to handle this situation. So your body is being improved to handle a situation. And so those hormones are running through the body and, and telling the body what to do, just like we're talking to each other. Hey, muscles, I need you to do such and such. Brain, I need you to do such and such. Lungs, I need you to do this. And so the hormonal system can come from the pituitary in your brain, the hypothalamus in your brain, your thyroid gland, your thymus gland when we're younger, your adrenal glands, your pancreas. All of these are different types of glands that produce hormones that actually are made to make sure that the whole body continues to work together. Now, in the, in the reality of all of these hormonal disruptors that we have in plastics, and then we're putting hot food in styrofoam containers, we're putting plastic in styrofoam containers and microwaves, we're putting uh, plastic bottles of water in the freezer, we're eating foods with the type of chemicals, additives, preservatives, colorings that can disrupt hormones, and then you're cleaning your house with stuff that can interfere with your hormones, and then let alone going to the doctor and get medications that cause problems as well. What, what is happening is that something that acts like it is a hormone is connecting to your receptors and telling the body, okay, I'm answering your call, but it's, all, it's almost like a woman that is desperate for a man and he tells her everything she wants to hear just to get to sex and then once he gets that he's gone it's very similar to the way the body works when something false and fake and and synthetic is giving the message it's sending a false message and then the body is saying okay i'm good now but then there's nothing to support that statement there's nothing to support that reality and so the body just becomes further and further deteriorated not only from a nutritional perspective, micronutrients and macronutrients and vitamins, but also from just a messaging. So it would be like I'm talking right now, and then all of a sudden my words just become jumbled, and, or I start speaking in a different language, and everybody's like, what the hell is he talking about? That's what happens. The body becomes confused. And then everybody deteriorates in a different way. But typically we deteriorate similarly in family. So Everybody that's listening, you're similar to your mother and father. They genetically made you. That makes sense. So that's why you deteriorate like them. It's not that medical problems are genetic or they run in your family. It's just that families 
have the same type of medical problems because most of the time you all are doing the same type of actions Absolutely. and lack thereof. And so when you start to deteriorate, you deteriorate similarly. And then the medical community lies and tells you that it's in your genes and that it's a family history and there's nothing you can do about it. Lies, lies, lies. Did I answer the question? Yes. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just sitting here like, wow. <laughs> yes. I hate when they ask me that question at the hospital and I'm thinking like, I have family members with health issues and I have, I have experienced none of what they have, but I understand it's because of my knowledge of eat to live and, and, and their lack right. of knowledge of that. Mm -hmm. So, I, right. oh my God, I'm so glad you touched on that because so many people believe that. I hear people say it all the time. Well, diabetes running my family or thyroid issues running my family and they act like it's some award that they just won, like I'm supposed to get it because, <laughs> you know, it's not like they won the lottery. Oh, diabetes running my family, you know, and it's just like, right, right. I'm so glad you addressed that. Thank you for coming. I was literally that. just asked that question when I was applying for health, for uh, not health insurance, I'm sorry, for another life insurance policy. And they started asking me questions about the health of my parents. And I first of all, my first thought was, it's none of your business True. because True. this is life insurance. What are you asking me if somebody <laughs> in my immediate family has diabetes for so that you can increase the rate? But my, right. Right. because that's yeah. not, you know, I don't have any signs of that. So, you know, and not to mention the fact that I felt like I'm not disclosing somebody else's business for an app, something that I'm applying for, but you know, do what my husband do. He just says no. All they questions. I know, right? <laughs> he says no. That's He's like, much. it's none of, he says it's none of their business. So I, a lot of people do that and you're right. It's not their business and it has nothing to do with your family. But I used to do it. It's all, I used to do life insurance and investments. That's all probability. That's all it is. It's what's the likelihood? They're just trying to estimate when they think that you may die. Right. It's just, it's just a profit, profit margin. Mm -hmm. And, but see, I think, I think the, the, the great, I'm, I'm sure some people are like, well, how in the hell do we get the insurance? Well, the reality is that what you both <laughs> just expressed is what this show, in my opinion, is about. It's about taking ownership back of what you should take ownership back. We have to empower ourselves as black people and stop letting people do what they want to with us. Yeah. I don't care if you're selling me something. I don't care Ooh. if you have something that I need. I'm going to stand up and be a black man and a black woman and do things that make sense. And I'm not just going to go along just to get along. Those days are long over. And that's why they can't stand this young generation because they're not going for that kind of crap. But we that's right. have, as more mature people have to continue to give them that example. You don't need that information and I'm not giving it to you. And understand that if you ask me that again, there are plenty of other insurance companies or agents that I can go and, or brokers I can go and talk to and find a different way to get this. So don't ask me that anymore. That's how we have to stand up in all aspects and including medicine. People have to take the power back from these damn doctors. You yes, are paying yes, that doctor. Yes. The doctor doesn't have the right to come into the room and start talking to you halfway, listening to you, writing the prescription before you're finished. Now, hold on. I'm not finished talking to you. And everybody that's listening, understand that if you pay for insurance and you are not pleased with that doctor, your insurance company will not pay them if you complain to the insurance company. You go tell them that you are not satisfied with the service. You do not think they should get paid because you didn't get the type of visit that you, they will not pay that doctor. 
But how many people know that? How many people are dissatisfied with their doctor, but they keep going back? No, we have to take our power back and shut these people down because they're not treating people right. The medical industry right now is it's a known fact. I don't know if it's public knowledge that doctors typically have five to seven minutes for each patient. Yep. Now, this is, this is a planned reality, y'all. Most of you all are double, triple booked when you go to a doctor. Yep. You don't notice, but you, you are on a time frame. If they told you your appointment was at 930, there are probably two or three other people with the same appointment that you have. Mm. And so when you walk into that room and when that doctor walks into that room, they don't have time for you. And if somebody doesn't have time for you in a time when you are in need, you don't need to pay them. You need to find someplace else to go. Mm-mm-mm. Brother, you are making such a profound <laughs> point. And I'm so glad for our listeners that they're getting the opportunity to be empowered through you by the words that you share because you've been on that side of the fence and you know. And until our doctors can begin to treat their patients as if they are human beings, then I personally don't want no parts of the system. And one of the things that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught his followers, he reminded us in his writings that the doctors are dying faster than their patients. So many times they can't give you, they cannot give you um, information and knowledge that you can hold on to because they're checking out of here just as quickly, if not even before you. So when you take back the power, and I think that's one of the, um, that's a takeaway piece that one of the things I really want the audience to, to pick up on, taking back your power, you know. It's so important for you to know that you're in control. You're in control of your body. You're in control of your mind. And we should not hand that over to someone. We shouldn't easily hand that over. And then on top of that, we pay them. Nobody should ever give their power to anybody unless that person absolutely deserves it. That's right. And you still still may not need to do it. I had a, a cousin who uh, recently graduated from medical school and she is a DO and she specifically talked about becoming a DO over an MD because she felt that they took a more holistic approach to medicine. Do you have any opinion about the differences between doctors of osteopathic medicine versus medical doctors? Absolutely. My original plan was to go to osteopathic school and become a DO. But when I had the opportunity to go to a black medical school, I immediately took that and ran with it because I was interested in making sure that my experience in school was racism free. I didn't think it was going to be easy, but I wanted it to be racism free. Um, I had heard so many stories when I was coming up as a child. All of my, um, a lot, most of my family went to historically black colleges and they used to talk about you know, the racism in their cities and the racism that they dealt with in life. But the good thing about their college education was that they didn't have to deal with it on their campuses. So that's what I wanted. But, you know, I, I know plenty of DOs, experienced them over the years. And, you know, doing the initial investigation in the beginning before I went to um, allopathic school, I know that the osteopathic training from a medical school perspective 
is more broad and had more alternatives in them. The unfortunate reality is that the majority of doctors that are out here aren't using what the hell they learned anyway because practicing medicine is an apprenticeship. Whether you go to DO school or MD school, when you come out and go to a residency program, nobody promotes thinking. Nobody promotes you going back and thinking about what it is that you read and studied all those years. They want you to follow what they do. And so most DOs that I know are worthless because they're doing the same thing all the MDs are doing. Maybe a few little intertwined words that are different. They may be able to talk a little bit about something alternative, but their minds are focused on the money and getting people out of the office quickly too. Now, are there exceptions? Of course. And there are also exceptions as MDs. There's some very good MDs out there. I know them personally. I have some friends that are trying to do the, uh, the best they can. They just haven't made the total commitment like I have. But in general, the majority of people in the United States that come out of medical school go into residency programs and become robots. They become protocol yes, they followers. They don't think their way through anything. They are afraid to get sued. And mm -hmm. all you do is practice medicine out of fear, which means that you <laughs> say things to people that destroy their spirit. You don't know how to think your way through a process, and you're too afraid to make mistakes. I know I'm not infallible, so when I talk with people, I'm straight up with them. I'm going to do the best I can to help you, empower you to get on a healing journey, and if you don't have any problems, to continue you on your health journey. But I'm not perfect. I may make a mistake. And I have made mistakes. I've made mistakes in my career, and I've had people blame me for their, for their people's death. And I've been in situations where people acted like I was God, and I saved them. And I was taught by some very wise doctors that never get too high and never get too low. When people try to praise you like you God, don't go that high. And when people blame you for their death, don't get that low. Always stay somewhere in the middle. It really, I, I believe it really goes back to what that person has in their heart. If people that are going to DO school truly have in their heart that they really want to help people and they want to do it in that manner, then they're probably going to do something different than the average physician. But the majority of people in DO school are people who just wanted an opportunity to become a doctor for whatever reason they were, and they took the first opportunity that they had. So it doesn't make it, doesn't make really make that they wanted to be that type of physician. They just wanted to be a doctor. You know, just as last point, when I was in medical school, we used to sit around with each other as physicians, uh, training physicians in training and talk about why we wanted to be doctors. And everybody used to think that my answer was textbook answer and that I was just really saying it, but it was true. I only wanted to be a doctor because I truly wanted to help people and see them get better. And I know people who are doctors to this day who wanted to be doctors because of the fact that their fathers were or because their uncle was or because they were going to be prestigious or because they were going to make a lot of money. Or, you know, it was for a lot of frivolous and very surface reasons. But I also believe that that's why some of these people are ineffective and they're sick. And when I see them at some of our you know, medical events, I don't go to that, you know, national, I don't do a lot of kind of crap. I'm talking when we go and learn, supposedly learning new information, 
And a lot of times when I see these people are like, oh, Akita, you look so good. And I'm like, I, I can't respond in that same way because you don't. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I just don't play with people like that. You know what I mean? I don't say, oh, you look good too, just to respond in some way. <laughs> I just don't say anything. Because these people look horrible because they're doing it for the wrong reason. You know, they got gray all over their body. They're fat. They're taking medications. Some of them, some female and male doctors that I know have had surgeries, you know, facial surgeries and breast <laughs> reductions or breast implants. After, I mean, as a physician, I can't speak for them, but what I can speak for myself is that I want to be the type of example that every person that inter interacts with me knows that you have the power to get what it is that you want. Now, that's not unrealistic. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're, if you're just like a really ugly person and you think you're going to eat how to eat to live and you're going to look like Beyonce in 10 years, I'm sorry. I got to tell you <laughs> off the bat. That's not my name. You know what I'm saying? But if you're 30 or 40 pounds overweight and you're telling your patients to do this and do that and do that, but you don't do it and you can't do it and you don't dedicate yourself to do it, then you're really lying to your patients. You have the type of money to go have plastic surgery on your face that makes you look young, and now people tell you, oh, you look good, but yet you're <laughs> telling your patients something totally different. See, that, that, that's the hypocrisy that's mm -hmm. going on in that field because it's dead. It is a dying reality because it's not serving people what they need. It's just a matter of time before people start leaving the medical industry in mass because it's not doing anything for them. Dr. Keeley, you know, it's lately, I, I, I don't know if you've been hearing it or been seeing it on social media, promoted heavily, but there's this, years ago it was a big thing about being a vegan. Now it's coming back. It's got a second win. So now across social media, in, in certain news outlets, there's been this big promotion for a vegan diet. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Uh, excellent question. Um, let me first say that as a physician, um, I've been, I finished medical school 22 years ago. So it's been a 22 year career. I've been exposed to just about every diet, every fad, every so-called healthy lifestyle, tried most of them or actually know people who have. And so I'm saying that because I want listeners to understand that I'm very educated when it comes to things that people do. So let me premise my answer with how to eat to live is the only reality that has given me 100% positive results. Inherent with the vegan lifestyle are problems. And of course, the reason why so many people are into veganism is because of its popularity based on the fact that there were some athletes and some entertainers, some singers, some you know, popular people that started doing it and you saw results. Well, my statement to people is always that I can take a fat person who eats meat with every meal every day, eats a lot of McDonald's and Wendy's and all this other garbage, and I could put them in my garage and feed them chocolate-covered dog and cat doo-doo and arsenic, which is rat poison, and they would lose weight. But does that mean they're getting better? Absolutely not. Now, let's first understand that the <laughs> vegan lifestyle, 
was never scientifically thought through. The vegan lifestyle was never somebody sitting down and saying, what are the necessities of a human body? And let me go out here and try to find a way to give that to a body. No, the vegan lifestyle came from a man who wanted to not harm animals. Now, is that a good thing? Of course. I, I don't want to harm animals. But to, to sit down and say that I'm going to produce a dietary lifestyle based on not harming animals to me is very foolish, non-scientific, and that's the reason why it doesn't produce results. Now, people can say it produces results, but I know personally that it doesn't produce results because people are coming to me when they're doing veganism and they have vitamin B12 deficiencies and they have iron deficiencies and they have vitamin D deficiencies. So a person that wants to eat a vegan lifestyle has to know these things. It is very common that you have micronutrient deficiencies because there are certain animal products that give us things that are very, very healthy for the body, such as eggs and mostly milk that has not been pasteurized and homogenized, butter, yogurt, and things of that nature. So people who take that out of their diet because they don't want to see animals harmed, personally, that's not a way to formulate a good dietary lifestyle. The dietary lifestyle has to be produced by saying, what does the body need? Okay, the body needs water. We know that because it's 75% water. Most people that we see every day are dehydrated, and that's why they have high blood pressure and headaches and skin problems, all these type of things. Next thing would be we need macronutrients from our food. What is that? Fat, protein, and sugar. Those are necessities for the human body. The fat is broken down into cholesterol and to fatty acids. The sugar is broken down mostly to glucose, which our brain cannot function without. And the protein is broken down to amino acids, which we use to rebuild our muscles and rebuild our brain and nerve tissues. Now, when it comes to vitamins, we have fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, and then you have your water-soluble vitamins, which is mostly C and B. And you're missing a lot of all of those things when you exclude animal products out of, your, out of your dietary lifestyle. So the vegan lifestyle is a craze. The vegan lifestyle is a fad. The vegan lifestyle mostly has you concentrating on green leafy vegetables, which are no good for you. And you can do your own experiment. And again, you know, try to remove the emotions. Don't get angry at me. How about you do your own experiment? and go buy as much um, spinach, um, Swiss chard, kale, and any other type of greens that you enjoy, and eat that for the next two or three days. And then watch your stool for the next two or three days and watch all the green stuff come out your butt. That's proof that you can't digest those green leafy vegetables. And how can I prove that to you? Because I can suggest you, after you finish that experiment, to go buy some broccoli and some green beans, and some okra, and some cabbage, and some Brussels sprouts, and eat that over the next three or four days after you finish that experiment, and you will see nothing green in your come out your butt, because you can digest those foods. So there are plenty ways that we can, that we can prove to ourselves that the vegan lifestyle is not good for us, such as the nut reality of the vegan lifestyle. 
anybody out there that thinks vegan is good for you, take your nuts, eat your favorite nuts, chew them right before you swallow, look in the mirror, and look at the size of the pieces of nuts that you are swallowing, and then look at your stool over the next few days. And if you see the pieces come out of your butt the same way they went down your throat, you can't digest something that comes out of the system coming out looking the same way it went down. That's proof to you that you can't digest that food, meaning you are not getting any nutrients out of it. So those are two things that you can do. There are a lot of things in the vegan lifestyle that a vegan person proves that they don't know what they're doing because coming away from meat and then doing soy is not a good idea. Coming away from meat, and I'm not trying to say meat is good. I'm just saying that coming from the right type of meat and going to soy is getting worse. Coming away from animal products and going to almond milk and rice milk and some of these other um, processed things that a lot of vegans eat, you are literally going backwards. I'm talking about things like corn, these frozen things that a lot of people are eating from the company called corn or Morningside. These type of foods, I would say, are worse than eating meat. And I'm sure some vegans might be offended by that statement, but it's the truth based on my research. If you eat the right type of meats, doesn't mean it's good for you. But any soy is bad. And a lot of the products that are in people that become vegans, a lot of their diet, a lot of times, is mostly green leafy vegetables, nuts, potatoes, and soy products. And I'm sorry to, to say this, but vegans don't live a long time. And if anybody knows any better, please let me know. I've been researching for years, and I don't know any centurion vegans. You know, I, I, I want to bear witness to what you're saying about the vegan diet, because I, I did a vegan diet for years, and, and when I did it, after I got pregnant right after that, as my doctor broke it down to me, it was the most detrimental thing to my body is because at that point, I didn't have enough. I was depleted with a lot of nutrients. And so what my baby started doing is taking calcium or what they needed for my bones, my teeth. So I was literally like deteriorating while my baby right. was feeding off of what it needed from me that I, was, that I didn't have enough of. So I said, I got to take it from somewhere. So I'm going to take it right. from places that I need it. And I suffered tremendously. So I want to bear witness to everything that you're saying and that I am a living example of everything that you said because I thought I just went to the extreme with my diet and thought that was the best way to eat. And, um, wow, thank you so much for sharing that because I am that example. It, it basically ruined me, ruined my pregnancies. I'm, I'm glad you, you gave that testimony because – that's what people need to hear. People need to hear the, the truth because the majority of people that push the vegan lifestyle and push the vegan ideology, they don't know the reality of it because most of them don't do it well. You know what I'm saying? Most of them do it in a way that, you know, they think they're healthy because they look a certain way. But you haven't gone and gotten your blood checked. You haven't gone and gotten your vitamin D level checked or your vitamin levels checked. You think because your skin cleared up a little bit or because you lost some weight that you're actually doing good. Well, I'm sorry. People that have cancer and take chemotherapy lose weight, but that don't mean they're getting better. So thank you for that testimony, sister. Appreciate it. Even though it is, it's not my, um, you know, it's not my road to challenge. 
but I would be remiss if I did not, you know, have a voice for those people who are out there who might be vegan, including myself. So I take a different stance with that because as a person who has tried many different fads as well, many different diets, um, you know, over a course of the years, what I have found that has worked best for me, and I know many other vegans who are not necessarily the typical vegans that, you know, we may be familiar with, you know, when it comes to fats. So you have different types of vegans. You have those who follow um, a lifestyle where they may eat a good deal of soy. They may eat a good deal of nuts. They may eat, you know, like you mentioned, all of the, the kale and things like that. But you have many vegans who don't partake in those. And I happen to be one of them because I follow how to eat to live. But I also follow eat how to eat to live as it relates to not eating, you know, um, flesh and vegetarian diet being one of the better diets for us or really the best and keeping it very simple. But yes, there are a lot of vegans out there who are high in soy and they're high in um, other things that are processed. I don't believe, do I, have I eaten processed food? Of course I have, but I don't feel that that's something that really needs to be in my diet because I can do without it. You know, if I can go outside my backyard and plant my own trees and eat me an apple or get some grapes or things like that, that have seeds, for me, that's something that I feel my body does better at breaking down. And I feel that it does bear witness. And this is something you know, that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gave us. Um, And I feel that oftentimes what happens in the media when we do come across different diets, and so I just wanted to, you know, share my own experience and, you know, again, be a voice for those who are out there who may very well be vegan, but they don't necessarily um, subscribe um, to the traditional or at least the type of vegan diet that most people hear of. Yes, ma'am, and I respect that. You know, I, I, I hope I didn't say anything to offend you, but, um, you know, the Honorable Muhammad mentions in How to Eat to Live, he mentions vegetarianism on a number of occasions. So I, I do believe that that is the best thing to do because, like I said, my the, the results I've gotten from that book have been so wonderful. But even if a person does everything in a vegan lifestyle and exclude all of those things that I mentioned, I don't know what where their source of vitamin B12 would be. I don't know where their source of vitamin D would be, nor A or E to the most part. And that's what I'm saying. You know, some some vegans that were very, as far as the, the strict sense of vegan, they didn't do soy, they didn't do nuts, and they didn't even do a lot of the, the leafy vegetables. They were having problems with their nutrients. And that's what I'm saying, just the evidence that I've seen is that even when you exclude a lot of the negative things that people do, there's just not a foundation of a, a, a total set of nutrients to keep the body healthy for long periods of time. So, you know, I, I would love, I would love for somebody to prove me wrong, but that's just my experience. So I, I'm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want us to get any, any back and forth. That's not my point, but I mean, it's just, the vegan lifestyle of coming away from animal products, I 100% agree with stop eating meat. But when it comes to milk and eggs and what that supplies to the body, it's, it's, um, it's, it's pretty hard to find that someplace else. And I, I don't know where a person that is a vegan would find 
those nutrients because it's just not in a lot of foods. Dr. Dr. Kavi, can you uh, uh, share with us the importance of uh, food being medicine? I, I would like to hear your perspective on the application of, uh, of food as medicine. Yes, ma'am. Well, um, what, what How to Eat to Live proved to me is that food is medicine. And of course, I had never even considered that concept before I read How to Eat to Live. And, and understand that when I told you all the story about how I read How to Eat to Live that day when I left my office, that was the fourth time I had read it. I had read it as a young boy. I read it when I was in college and I read it when I was in medical school. It just never had the effect that it had on me at that time in the fourth time that I read it. And so as I was watching my own body improve, as I watched my cholesterol come from 330 down to 120 in, in less than a year, as I watched people walk up out of high blood pressure and walk out of diabetes and improve heart conditions that people were told they were going to die and people that were on liver transplant lists and walk out of the liver transplant list based on me putting together a program based on how to eat to live for them, I realized that I had been lied to because the process in medical school is diagnose a problem, give them a pill. And now this man with this simple plan, as sister said, with this simple English, so much easier than all this crap that I read in these books that were two and three times bigger. And let me not call them crap because some of the stuff was good, but most of it is just jargon. Big words, fancy words, words that people can't understand, but yet it was producing no results. And so then I started studying, you know, like different types of foods and what does a, a fruit do and why are there subacid fruits and acid fruits and sweet fruits and why are there, you know, foods with seeds and foods that don't have seeds and what are vegetables and what are fruit and, you know, all these different types of things. And as I continue to study and study and study, I started seeing that there are so many things in foods that heal the body. And that is what is so profound to me is that if anybody has ever looked at the word, at the book, How to Eat to Live, it's the only book I've ever seen that at the top of it says from God in person. And, you know, at that time in my life, I was spending some time around members of the Nation of Islam and I would hear them say things like, you know, God is a man. You know, God is a man. And it made no sense to me because, you know, at that time in my life, I had, you know, money where I could take trips and I would get on planes and I would fly up over the clouds and I would look out the window and say, man, that's all, all of that is God. So I really thought of God in a very ethereal reality. But this book that says from God in person, I had been around enough um, people that knew about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and I knew that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad did not finish the fourth grade. He went to the fourth grade, but didn't finish the fourth grade. Well, how in the hell did he write a book? The first one that only had 119 pages, and the second one had 192 pages. How did those two books, with simple words and few pages, make more sense than all of the books I had been reading for many, many years before then? And so that's when I had to sit down and had the epiphany that this man met with somebody that was very, very, very powerful. And so if a God that that's powerful makes these bodies, then he put everything on the earth to take care of these bodies, not a scientific laboratory, not some fool that wants to go and put some, something of the human body in his name, 
But I mean going to that tree, as sister just mentioned, and pull an orange off of that tree or an apple off of that tree or a pear or a nectarine or dig something out of the ground like a turnip or some other type of food that gives you the type of nutrition that goes in the body and you start seeing the body make these revolutionary changes. That was my epiphany that a body doesn't need a medication. And matter of fact, what are medications anyway? If you take a blood pressure, you know, it's an, it's an anti this, it's a beta blocker, an alpha blocker, uh, an ACE inhibitor. Most of the medications that, that doctors prescribe to you stop something from happening in the body. And it's so-called is improving you. No, it's not improving you. That's why you have so many side effects. It's killing you. It's just slowly killing you. But when you eat an apple or you eat some bean soup or you eat some broccoli or some cauliflower, there are substances that are going in the body called phytonutrients, plant nutrients that are going in the body and building the body to have more of an ability to solve a problem, more of an ability to heal. And if we're putting the right water in the body and we're exercising and getting enough oxygen in the body and we're getting enough rest, meaning sleep and fasting after we put the right nutrients in the body, I've seen every medical problem that most people that are listening have ever heard of. I've seen people walk up out of those realities and not have problems with them anymore. And so I'm changed forever. I can never go back to prescribing something to somebody when I know the solution is somewhere else. And so I've been changed, and that's, that's my testimony on food is medicine. Yeah. Why do you think sure. that since the book has been around for as long as it has, I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken, is it 1967? I think the, uh, I'm not yeah, sure. Book one, yes, Book one, yes, yeah. So, book one, um, 1967, book two, I think it was 72. 72, yes. yes. And so here we are, we're in the year 2018. So we're talking, you know, over 47, 8, 49 plus years um, that these two books have been here. Why do you think that it has been so difficult for those um, to really follow this dietary law? What is the struggle? Do you think that it has a lot to do with what society offers us as it relates to food choices? It does, do you think it has anything to do with the chemicals that are in the food? But what is it that keeps our people who have been given a knowledge that is said to be a law from actually following, knowing that this um, can definitely be a lifesaver um, and help people be on the right course as it relates to their health? Ooh, what a profound question. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I think it will be all of the above. Number one, our enemy has done a wonderful job of making us not recognize the light. Our enemy has made done a wonderful job of making us believe that he is God. And so when somebody comes and starts giving you information that's different than what you're accustomed to, you automatically say that that person is crazy. That person got to be a fool. And if they have the same color of skin you have, you call them a nigga, dumb, crazy. That's something wrong with them people. At the end of the day, um, I think that's the main reason is that we have been so turned upside down and inside out that when something new comes to us, we don't give it a chance. So that goes right along with that scripture that the light shining in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it or not. The second um, 
reason I believe that it has not taken more of an effect is because our enemy has done a wonderful job of taking from it and then mixing a lot of falsehood with it and presenting things to the public that have some benefit, mm. but there's still enough falsehood mixed with it that you're never going to get the total results of how to eat to live. Because I, I say this with all honesty. I say this with all desire to work towards it. I say this not to try to get any rise out of any person, but I know I can live to 200. Yes, I watched yes, my yes. grandmother live to 110. Yes. And my grandmother was overweight all of my life. She wasn't overweight as a younger woman when I go back and I look at pictures of her, but all of my life she was overweight. My, my grandmother ate pork all of her life. My grandmother ate multiple meals all of her life. So I believe that what I have learned in medical school, what was good that I took from that, and then the teachings of Honorable Elijah Muhammad and how to eat live, I know I'm capable to live it to 200 or beyond. Yeah, yes. If I continue to dedicate myself, if I continue to be diligent, if I stop doing the silly and dumb things that I do out of like and desire and giving into, if I continue to process myself out of that into being more dedicated to this lifestyle, I believe I can prove it. And the reality is that that's what I believe it's going to take, that somebody and some people, a group of us, are going to have to prove yes. that this book right here, you can't get diabetes. With following this book, you can't get cancer. With this book right here, you can't get high blood pressure and lupus and skin problems and liver problems and breathing problems. You can't, get, you can't lose your mind. You can't get forgetful following this teaching right here. And when we have a group of people that follow how to eat to live, like we should or doing the best we can and that's mm -hmm. what we can present to the public then there'll be no argument and so i you know i just think we have an enemy that knows what we have and the and the general population doesn't understand why and how he comes against what he knows is the truth but we as wide awake people we know what's happening and at the end of the day there's a responsibility on us and when I say us, I'm only refer referring to myself. If there's anybody else out there <clears throat> that wants to do this with me, praise the God we serve. But I know I have a responsibility on my back, on my life, on my heart, soul, and mind that I have to be exactly the opposite of what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said in, in How to Eat to Live and that I can't die the yes. way black people are dying. I cannot have the problems that black people get. I am at the age where every single person in my family on both sides, my father and my mother's side have medical problems and take medication. I'm the only person in my family on my mother's side or my father's side that's over 30, 35 that doesn't have medical problems. So I'm proving it to a certain degree, but I have to prove it even further. I have to be 80 and 90 and 100 and still exercising three or four times a week and still doing my yoga, and still getting up every day and doing all the things that I enjoy to do, not even considering a retirement. That's the type of reality that I and I think many others are going to have to produce before people are convinced, because right now, there's just too much confusion out here. This brings us to the end of our show. Dr. Akili, we would like to give you the last word. 
Well, um, let me first say thank you all. Um, I mean, your your questions inspired you all's questions inspired this wonderful dialogue that we had. Um, I, I'm I'm just again I'm I'm thankful and humble by the questions and you know the answers that come out of me. Sometimes I'm sometimes amazed as well how God is using me. <laughs> I truly yes, believe that. Um, but um, I'm also very thankful that. God made me in a way that I was open to change and open to have the ability to question everything that I spent so much money and so many years trying to attain. And so I believe in that example is the example for all of you as well. Yes, your mother taught you how to cook. Yes, your mother taught you your lifestyle and or your father. But if you are not getting the results that you desire, then change is the only reality that you should be looking for. And so, you know, the, the answers, I thank God for giving me the ability to even say them because I was an arrogant, ignorant doctor, you know, practicing medicine. I don't think I've, I was ever as bad as some of these horrible doctors out here, but I definitely did have that mentality that I was the best. I had the best information and there was nobody better. And, you know, I'm glad that I was removed from that thinking and that I could have such a, a wonderful show and share this type of information. And so there are uh, multiple ways that you can follow me and contact me. I am on Facebook at The Ultimate Wellness Group. I'm on Instagram at The Ultimate Wellness Group. My website is theultimatewellnessgroup.com. And I'm also on YouTube at The Ultimate Wellness Group. I do a weekly show on Facebook and YouTube, um, The Ultimate Wellness Scoop um, Transformation Tuesday that will return on, on, in October, on October the 2nd. And you can also reach me if you have a personal consultation that you need to set up. You can reach me at 832-429-4576. Again, that's 832-429-4576. And let me be very clear. I don't take insurance. I only take cash. But if you see me for a holistic visit, you can sometimes get reimbursed by your insurance. But I want you all to understand that if your desire is to continue to take medications and you need time to try to get off of them, you need to keep the doctor that gives you your medications because I don't do that. I don't believe that that is good for you. And so if anybody is listening to this and you have a desire to want to work with me on your health or your healing journey, you have to be ready to come where I am because I can help you come out of where you are, but I just don't do things that I think are detrimental and destructive to the human body. So it, it would, it would be hypocrisy if to me, I believe if I was to write some, a person a prescription that I know is not going to, help you but it's going to continue keeping you in a place where you are so i am somebody that i don't play with people i don't try to gouge people for money i don't want you to come see me for money i want you to come see me because you're ready to make a commitment and a dedication and you want to act diligently in your life to go in a different direction than where you are or where you are going and i believe i have been prepared to do this and I be, believe that I've been prepared to help you in an empowering way so that you can become who it is and what it is that you really are.
So again, um, to you sisters, thank you very much for the show. Thank you very much for the questions. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the honor of being able to be on your show, especially <laughs> as the first um, brother, <laughs> as the first emperor. <laughs> completely and totally honored, and I will brag on that. So I am going to tell everybody that I was the first on y'all show, and I'm very That's honored right. to be that. <laughs> thank you, thank you for the very thought-provoking, serious questions. I believe, um, probably as much or more than any show I've ever been on, you all inspired the type of conversation that I believe can really help people and start to put their thinking in a place where they can start moving in a diff different direction. So I'm truly um, thankful and humble by the um, greatness from you all as well. Praise is due to Allah. Thank, thank you, my brother. All praise is due to Allah. I want to thank you listeners for tuning in to this week's podcast with our first emperor, Dr. Keely Graham Muhammad. Tune in next week as we discuss eggshell friendships. This is a topic you don't want to miss. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Empress, please visit the website royalempress.org. You can also follow the Royal Empress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Empress is a subsidiary of the Royal Empress Organization. All rights reserved.